Environmental Product Declarations. Welcome to Construction and the Climate. This is a podcast series from 39 Essex Chambers with me, Camilla Tahar and Ruth Keating. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the big climate issues affecting the construction sector. Today, we're joined by Dr. Jane Anderson. Jane has such an impressive experience. We've had to pick just some of the highlights today. She's a board member of the Alliance for Sustainable Building Products and has over 20 years experience in life cycle assessment, embodied carbon and environmental product declarations for the construction industry. After a degree in architecture, 10 years experience in the construction industry, and then an MSc in advanced energy and environmental systems, Jane started work as a researcher at BRE, where she co-authored one of the first set of product category rules for EPDs. In 2023, as if she already hadn't done enough, Jane completed her PhD, her thesis, Reducing Embodied Carbon in the Built Environment, the Role of Environmental Product Declarations, is also a very interesting read, and I can highly recommend that to all of our listeners. So Jane is perfectly placed to discuss today's topic with us of environmental product declarations. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. And a welcome from me, Jane. Start off with, Jane, what are EPDs? So environmental product declarations, or we call them EPDs for short, are a way of providing environmental information about products over their life cycle using a standardised approach to life cycle assessment so that you are able to use them to make comparisons between products, for example, because the approach that's been used is the same. Jane, I think you already get a a really good sense from that of why they're so important for the industry. Can you give us a bit of background on why EPDs were developed? Effectively, they're used to assess the impact of our buildings and our built environment. So we know that construction and civil engineering projects altogether are around 10% of global impact. So we basically need information about products to be able to work out what the impact of our buildings are. So that's effectively why we produce them, so that we can look at the impacts of buildings and how we can compare the impacts of products to select products that will reduce the impacts of buildings. And Jane, you see um, we need information about products. Would you be able to explain to our listeners what EPDs measure? EPDs use life cycle assessment, so we measure a really broad range of environmental impacts. The main one that people are probably familiar with is carbon, so it's effectively a carbon footprint for a product. But we do measure lots of other impacts, so acidification, eutrophication, smog, particulates, toxicity. I think there's about 20 impacts that we actually measure. And then we're also reporting what we call resource indicators. So the amount of energy that's used, the amount of water that's used, and then information on how much waste is produced, how much material is recycled and recovered. So there's a really long list of impacts that are measured. And we measure that over the life cycle. So we measure it in manufacturing And then there are optional stages for measuring the impacts of transport to construction sites, the impact of actually incorporating a product into a building, so the amount of waste that you might expect and what happens to it, maintenance that you require over the lifetime, and then what happens to it at the end of life and the benefits of any recovery that happen. So it's quite extensive in terms of what it produces. Thanks, Jane. I think that gives a really good sense of all of the various different things that an EPD reflects. And also, I think how 
involved that process can be. For our listeners who are coming to this who haven't really dealt with the EPDs before, how is an EPD generated? So effectively, as a manufacturer, you need to have data on the input materials that you use, the energy that you use, the water that you use, and then how much product you produce and the waste that you produce and where all of those things come from and where they go to. So that's the type of data collection process that's needed as a manufacturer. There are kind of two ways that you can produce the EPD, either using a tool, an EPD tool that's kind of designed for manufacturers to be able to use or to use an LCA practitioner. So basically somebody with experience and with LCA tools that they can use. So it's not really something that you can do without, let's say, either a tool or skills. And effectively, you're creating a model of your manufacturing process and that supply chain and then the kind of lifetime of your product within the tool. So you're telling it what materials you're using, what data it should use to represent the transport distance and the type of transport so it can work out the impact of that transport. That's essentially the process. There are some complications, so particularly if a factory produces more than one product, how do you allocate either the inputs or the energy between those products? It may be that it's relatively simple. You might have meters on your production line so you can measure it or you may have to make assumptions about how much energy different production lines use or different products might use so it can get more complicated but that's effectively the process and as I say there are tools that can automate that for you to an extent and so it is simpler than it used to be. Jane are there certain types of products that are more popular for EPDs? Yes so When I've surveyed the kind of EPDs that are available, you do see, for example, flooring, paints, insulation products, there tend to be more of them. I'm not sure, well, there are various reasons why. One might be that it's those types of products are quite easy to make direct comparisons. Quite often you would choose this paint or that paint and it doesn't really make very much difference to anything else. And the same with flooring, you choose this flooring or that flooring and it doesn't really influence other impacts. Whereas if, for example, you were choosing to build something out of timber frame or brick, there's lots of other things that might change. So it's harder to make those kind of comparisons. So I think that's one reason. And then in a way, once one manufacturer starts producing EPDs, other manufacturers start to have to compete on that basis and to provide them as well. So we tend to see a lot of the companies in those sectors have EPDs. And also there are lots of products, if you like, whereas maybe somebody producing steel, they basically produce structural steel and that they only need one EPD to represent it, whereas a carpet manufacturer might have EPDs for 15 or 20 different carpets because they've got different weights and different makeups. I think that's probably what's behind it. I think that makes a lot of sense, Jane, when you said there that people are increasingly perhaps having to get EPDs because that's a way of assessing products, particularly if you're carrying out a project and comparing products. One way might be the EPDs. That leads on to a question I was wondering, which is, I suppose, first, why would someone use EPDs and how are they being used in practice? So people would use EPDs because they are an accurate way of providing 
information that's being produced from manufacturer data. So it should be a good representation of that data. And they've been verified. So an independent expert has checked that the methodology has been followed and that the data is plausible. So from that point of view, they're quite an accurate source of data. In terms of how they're being used, the main purpose, I would say, is for use in assessment of buildings. So in assessing embodied carbon for buildings or doing building life cycle assessment. They are being used quite often for green public procurement in quite a few countries. So, for example, in Norway, they require public projects have to use, I think, at least 20 products with EPDs. And we're starting to see in the United States, lots of the states and even some smaller cities and regions are requiring that the products that are used in public projects, the, the most important ones, so say steel, concrete, that they have to achieve certain limits, that they have to be kind of low carbon and they use EPDs to produce that. The other way we see it, so France and Belgium have requirements that if you make a claim about your construction product, if you say it's low carbon or it's environmental, you actually have to produce an EPD that supports that claim. So you can't just greenwash. So I think those are the kind of main purposes and then product comparison from the point of view of an architect or an interior designer or an engineer trying to choose you know, a product that will result in lower impact at building level. I think that's really interesting, Jane, to hear what other international comparators are doing because one thing that comes up a lot on this podcast is it increasingly isn't a choice for buildings to be sustainable or environmentally friendly. It's really an existential crisis in the sense that funders are demanding certain requirements of their building, as you say, procurement increasingly demanding certain requirements. And all of that means that really those claims need to be evidenced because if they're not, people can just assert whatever they like effectively. One thing that strikes me listening to all of the data points that go into these products or EPDs are that you're trying to collect a lot of different data points and you might be making certain assumptions in terms of the evidence that one presents. Are there particular challenges that you see in terms of people creating accurate EPDs? I think that the common things that people find difficult, so timber and bio-based products store carbon, biogenic carbon that they've taken out of the atmosphere when they're growing. And we need to account for that and there's quite strict rules on how to do it but it does cause problems because it's not something that many of the tools can do automatically you actually have to kind of make calculations and you have to adjust the data that will come from the kind of underlying databases so that it accurately reflects the results over the life cycle so that we quite often see mistakes or or problems the other one, which in a way is for similar reasons, is the energy indicators, because again, they have to be calculated, the amount of energy that's actually incorporated in products like plastics or timber as well, because it's a manual calculation. And there are different ways that it's done in some of the different countries, different ways that they want you to report it, for example, when materials are incinerated. So yeah, that one, we quite often see problems. But I think if so long as we have verifiers to try and check those things and the verifiers should have knowledge of the construction products. I think that's when you can have problems is if the 
let's say, the LCA practitioner and the verifier, neither of them are actually familiar with the real way in which a product is produced, then it's potentially difficult. They wouldn't maybe understand what might be happening. And, and so you can start to see problems. But yeah, that's not that common. It's interesting hearing about the variability of verifiers and the need in some cases to carry out manual calculations. Just following on from that, are there any common errors in modelling for EPDs or variability that creeps in? I've talked about the errors that you see from the biogenic carbon and the energy indicators. There is inherent variability in EPDs. I think some people look at the range of results that you see from EPDs and say, well, there must be a problem because how can you have a result from kind of 100 to 500 for the same product? But certainly the work that I did looking at BPDs for my PhD, there are, in a lot of cases, there are very good reasons why manufacturing processes vary. There are different technologies that you might use. There's different types of energy that you might use. The actual products themselves might be different. So there are very good reasons why the data can vary and it isn't always down to mistakes. Quite often it, it is because these two manufacturers are doing something quite different and sourcing different energy and have different efficiencies and are producing products. You know, if you're looking, for example, at plasterboard per meter squared, they might have quite different densities. And if they've got different densities, they're using different amounts of raw materials. So they're going to have different impacts. So yeah, there's lots of reasons why the data changes. Um, try to ensure that things are accurate. So I'm volunteer for Eco Platform, which is the trade association for EPD programs. And one of our remits is to try and increase the consistency to work with EPD programs to ensure that the verifiers have suitable training, suitable experience, and that we gradually over time look at all the different things and reduce the uncertainty and the variability that exists in methodological terms. So hopefully we are improving. I think what comes out really clearly, Jane, from everything you've said is that EPDs serve such an important function as being this independent verifier of claims that people are making. But also, I think across the industry, there is a range of adoption of these methods. So as you said, internationally, lots of requirements being made. And some of our listeners may never have worked with EPDs. I'm mindful of that. I hate to ask you to look into a crystal ball and we won't replay this episode for you in five years, but... Where do you see EPDs in five years' time in terms of use? So I think I can make a fairly firm prediction that there will be a lot more EPD or EPD-like data out there. So the United States has a, a huge program to increase the use of EPDs. They're investing $250 million to do that just on EPDs as well as huge investments on improving production of products so that the EPDs will, if you like, demonstrate that and to procure products for government projects to be procuring products with low carbon. So we can see certainly in the United States already that there's a lot more EPDs and they're growing really fast. We see that and that's only going to expand with that kind of investment. In Europe, the European Commission is now very seriously starting to incorporate the data that's in EPDs into construction product regulations and CE marking. So they've basically got a kind of long-term program and they've identified priority products. And that will basically mean that 
certainly starting with kind of structural steel and metals and cement and concrete, precast concrete, for example, that those products are going to need to go through the process very similar to an EPD and it will need to be verified like an EPD and then it will be incorporated into CE marking so that over time there is data for building lifecycle assessment. So there's a parallel commitment within Europe for all buildings to be assessed in terms of certainly their embodied carbon or lifecycle assessment and that needs EPDs. So basically, I think that's by 2027 that they want all countries to have regulation to do that and then start to set limit values. I mean, there are already six countries that have done that. So the Scandinavian countries, Germany does it for public procurement, France does it for all buildings in the Netherlands. So it's already started. So that they'll need EPDs or certainly data like EPDs that essentially are EPDs and they're just provided in a different way. So we will see that. So I think although we're not seeing any commitment in the UK for all buildings to be assessed, there is a commitment for public projects to do whole life carbon assessment that's come through the construction playbook. But we don't see anything sort of so serious in the UK, but obviously product producers that export into the EU or to the United States will start to see that need to produce EPD or just to be competing with products. So there will be more. Thank you so much, Jane. And it's a particularly interesting episode for our listeners, given that the use of EPDs is going to be growing, or at least in terms of being competitive, the need to have this data is going to be more and more important. So thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars. Thank you.